This is the Howie Silbiger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Call 1-877-669-1292. And I'm Howie Silberger. Welcome to the program. It is a pleasure to be here with you. And uh, I am looking forward to the show. Coming up after 8 o'clock, we'll be joined by my long-suffering producer, Mr. Sheldon Eric Freed, and my intrepid reporter from Toronto, Mr. Mark David, will be here also. That's coming up after 8 o'clock. Right now, we, um, we're going to look at something uh, serious, um, a couple of serious things I want to look at uh, this hour. Uh, I'm going to start off with a little bit of American politics, just because we can. Two mass shootings in 48 hours. Now, it sounds terrible, and it is terrible. There should be no mass shootings. People should not go shopping at a Walmart and get shot. That shouldn't be part of the shopping plans of a Walmart. People should not be shot just for being people. And... um, of course, after these massacres, and we'll call them massacres, I mean mass shootings, after these, these mass killings, the lefties have all come out and blamed Donald Trump. Oh, Donald Trump is responsible for this. Donald Trump has sowed the seeds of hatred in America. It's all Donald Trump's fault. And it's easy to do that in election year, blame the president for everything. It is simple to do that. But at the same time, is it realistic? Hatred in America has existed before Donald Trump became president, will exist way after Donald Trump became president. The problem is that people don't have a very long memory. People don't remember what had happened before the election of Donald Trump. We just remember what happened last week. In general, the media allows us to do that. Actually, the media forces us to just remember what happened last week and uh, and not remember history. But if we think about history and we think about hatred in the United States, hatred has been there for hundreds of years. Uh, before 9-11, just a couple of years before 9-11, there was a crackdown on white supremacy in the United States. The FBI and the and the uh, Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms Division of the government decided to crack down on white supremacy. And they went and they attacked a, a white supremacist, a white supremacist, excuse me, uh, in, in Ruby Ridge. And you could, you could Google Ruby Ridge. And they killed his family and confiscated his guns. And that was a huge scandal. And it pretty much galvanized the white supremacist movement which ended up in a big showdown with um with 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 david koresh in waco texas just before 9-11 just a couple years before 9-11 and david koresh uh burned down his complex killed all his followers he was a he was a cult in waco texas and after the koresh uh incident in waco texas the white supremacy groups were pretty much gone. I mean, they weren't—they weren't totally gone. 
but they were pretty much decimated. You had a couple of idiots here and there who were, who were pushing white supremacy, but the white supremacist groups were pretty much gone uh, as, as, as unified groups. You had a pocket here, a pocket there. They weren't a visible threat anymore in the United States. But that all changed. And how did that all change? And where did it all change? Quite simply, 9-11. When 9-11 happened, a group of Muslim terrorists hijacked a series of planes and flew them into buildings in the United States trying to kill as many Americans as they can, trying to take down the American government. When 9-11 happened, the Americans made a big decision, a decision that changed the course of history, uh, changed the way Americans, in fact, changed the way North Americans lived their lives, and also changed the fortunes of the white supremacist groups. So what America decided to do was they decided to take all their resources, all their intelligence agencies, every single resource they have, and turn them towards the Muslim threat. Suddenly, the Islamic threat was the largest threat facing America. Sure, Islamic terrorists took out the World Trade Centers, killed over 3,000 people in one day. It was a huge, horrific, unbelievable terror attack. And if you, if you remember that day, it was a horrifically scary day. And the Muslim terrorists took out the World Trade Centers. They tried to go after the White House. They tried to go after the Capitol building. They failed on that. They, they flew a plane into the Pentagon. It was, it was a terrible day for America. A terrible day for American, intel- American intelligence. Absolutely horrific day. And America responded by turning their intelligence agencies away from the white supremacist movements and onto the Islamic terror movements and, and trying to, trying to um, rid the world of Islamic terrorism. So what happened? Since the focus of the intelligence groups had moved from white supremacy to Islamic supremacy, the white supremacists now suddenly had time to rebuild their arsenals, to rebuild their following, to, to, re, to reorganize. And they lay low, and they were smart, and they lay low. The white supremacists didn't really, really cause too much trouble. In the uh, in the in the eighteen years since nine eleven, they laid pretty low and they were pretty much doing their own thing. Occasionally, they would they would uh, raise their ugly head, but in general, Americans kind of forgot that they existed. Then, once they had their arsenals rebuilt, once they had their followings rebuilt. Once they were strong, they rose up again. And the white supremacists have risen again. And they now pose a danger to the United States. But don't get me wrong. This would have happened whether 
Donald Trump became president, whether Donald Trump wasn't president, this would have happened anyway. Because the white supremacists were just waiting for their opportunity. And what was and what was their opportunity? Where, where did their opportunity come with Donald Trump? Everyone's saying, well, Donald Trump, well, lefties are saying, well, Donald Trump, Donald Trump, uh, he, he's, he's baiting them. He's, he's encouraging them. He's sending out dog whistles to the white supremacists. It's not true. They were rising up before Donald Trump. They were rising up before Donald Trump had a chance to send his dog whistles, which he, which he doesn't. Come on. Donald Trump is a, as white supremacist as, uh, as I'm a, as I'm a radical Islamist. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a ridiculous argument. It's a political argument. So this, this, this moves on to the next step. So now we have these, these mass shootings happening in the United States. And, uh, and it's unfortunate that people, people are dying. And, uh, and there's, been, there's been a lot of mass shootings in the last little while. And of course the, the typical lefties are coming out and saying, Hey, you know, there's a mass shooting. We have to uh, ban guns. It's not going to solve the problem. What America has to do now to solve this problem is they have to realign their intelligence to go after the white nationalists again, to go after the crazy, radical, homegrown terrorist movement and put them down. This is what has to be done. America hasn't done that in 20 years. It's time to turn around and... Go back to the way that their intelligence used to look at these these homegrown terrorists, these white nationalists, and these these crazies that are that that are rising up homegrown people. Because all the all the killers, all these mass shooters, are all Americans. They're they're all born and raised in America. Not many of them are Muslims. So it's not a jihad. It's not a, it's not a religious war. It's nothing to do with religion. These people are just nuts. And America used to track these people, but they don't. So gun control is not going to stop them. Because remember, a, a criminal who wants a gun will always, always be able to get a gun. Banning guns are just going to ban innocent people who, who might have a gun to protect themselves from having a gun to protect themselves. It is not going to stop the criminals from having guns. The criminals will always have guns. That's why they're criminals. Because they have guns. Because they want to do bad things. And if they don't have a gun, they'll have a bat. If they don't have a bat, they'll have a knife. If they don't have a knife, they'll have whatever tool they could find. An airplane. A car. Any way they could find to kill people, they will use to kill people. So banning guns isn't going to stop the criminals. It's just going to make a bunch of lefties feel good about themselves. We did something. I know it's human nature. Humans want to feel like they could do something to 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 resolve issues. Humans are, are always trying to find a solution to every problem. The solution for this problem. The solution for this problem is simple. And people look at me like crazy when I say solutions are simple because they are simple. We have to step away from politics. We have to step back and take a look at the homegrown terrorists. We have to, to step back. 
the government has to step back and they have to take a look and figure out who is the leaders of these new terrorist groups what is their goal and how do we how do we put them down until America is willing to do that and put politics aside and stop blaming Donald Trump for everything there will be unfortunately more killings and more mass shootings think about this for a second uh, just before just before we move on Think about this for a second. There was a mass shooting, the largest mass shooting on ground in American history in Las Vegas. They know who did it. They probably know why he did it. Have you heard a thing about it? Do you know anything about that shooting in Vegas? You don't. Now, there is a reason you don't know about that shooting in Vegas. The reason is quite simply there was no way to pin it on Donald Trump. So the media just dropped it. The media's goal is to make Donald Trump look bad. That's their only goal. They don't care about anything else. Their goal is to make Donald Trump look bad. So every politician that's running for president on the Democratic side has blamed Donald Trump for the shooting. And the media has swallowed it up. They've, they've gone crazy reporting it. Har I, I, look, even Fox News is getting into the act. Harvard Law Professor accuses Trump of terrorism. Calls for impeachment after shootings. Yep. Apparently Donald Trump should be impeached because somebody else shot up a Walmart. This is how crazy it's become. This is how stupid politics has become. Don't fall for this stupidity. This is total idiocy. Don't fall for this idiocy. And I see a lot of, a lot of my friends, a lot of people who are friends with me on Facebook, fall for this idiocy. They see something on CNN, they go, oh my God. And then suddenly... They're, they're, they're off and running with, uh, with these crazy, radical, unbelievable conspiracy theories. Stuff that's like on, on, the, on, on the far end of insane. Don't let that happen to you. Be smart. That's all I'm asking is for you to be smart. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show. Number to call, 1-877-669-1292. That's 1-877-669-1292. Getting in on the conversation here on the Howie Silberger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Coming up after 8 o'clock, we'll be joined by Mark David, my uh, intrepid reporter from Toronto. Sheldon Eric Freed, my long-suffering producer, will also be here. And, of course, the lines are open the entire show, and you can feel free to call in. At one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. That's one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. And I'll tell you what, if you call in, I'll even pay for the call. How about that? One eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Existential threat. Life as we know it is on the line. We have twelve short years to change everything, or it's game over. This is the terrifying scenario that's used by many leading politicians to justify a Green New Deal, an unprecedented increase in government power focused on the energy industry. The core idea of a Green New Deal is that government should rapidly prohibit the use of fossil fuel energy and impose 100% renewable energy, mostly solar and wind. This may sound appealing, but consider what it would entail. Today, 80% of the energy Americans use to heat their homes, farm their land, run their factories, and drive their cars comes from fossil fuels. 
coal, oil, and natural gas. Only 3.4% comes from solar and wind, despite decades of government subsidies and mandates to encourage their use. The reason we don't use much sunlight and wind as energy is that they are unreliable fuels that only work when the sun shines and the wind blows. That's why no town, city, or country has ever come close to 100% or even 50% solar and wind. And yet, Green New Deal proponents say they can do the impossible, if only we give the government control of the energy industry and control of major users of energy, such as the transportation industry, manufacturing, and agriculture. All of this is justified by the need to do something about the existential threat of rising CO2 levels. We're told on a daily basis that prestigious organizations like the United Nations have predicted mass destruction and death if we don't get off fossil fuels. What we're not told is that such predictions have a decades-long track record of getting it wrong. And by wrong, I mean completely missing the dartboard wrong. For example, in 1989, the Associated Press reported a United Nations prediction that entire nations could be wiped off the face of the earth by rising sea levels if the global warming trend is not reversed by the year 2000. We're now two decades past 2000. We're not missing any nations, and human beings are living longer, healthier, and wealthier lives than ever before. But aren't things bound to get worse? Haven't scientists established that CO2 is a greenhouse gas with a warming influence on the planet? Yes, but that's only a small part of the big picture. Although CO2 causes some warming, it's much less significant than we've been told. Since we started using significant amounts of fossil fuels in the middle of the 19th century, we've increased the percentage of CO2 in the atmosphere from 0.03% to 0.04%, which correlates with an average temperature increase of about 2 degrees Fahrenheit. It also correlates with significant global greening, because CO2 is plant food. All of this is far from unprecedented territory for our planet, which has existed with at least 10 times today's CO2 levels and a 25-degree warmer average temperature. What is truly unprecedented, though, is how safe we are from climate. The International Disaster Database, a nonpartisan organization that tracks deaths from climate-related causes, such as extreme heat, floods, storms, and drought, shows that such deaths have been plummeting as CO2 emissions have been rising. How is this possible? Because of the fossil fuel energy that emitted the CO2, which has empowered us to climate-proof our environment with heating, air conditioning, sturdy buildings, mass irrigation, and weather warning systems. Fossil fuel energy has not taken a naturally safe climate and made it unnaturally dangerous, it's taken our naturally dangerous climate and made it unnaturally safe. Fossil fuels are not an existential threat. They're an existential resource because they increase something much more important than the level of CO2 in the atmosphere, the level of human empowerment. Increased life expectancy, income, health, leisure time, and education are all tightly linked to increased access to fossil fuels. Does this mean that we shouldn't look for lower-carbon energy alternatives? Of course not. But the alternatives should lead us toward more abundant, more reliable power, not less. 
the most promising form of alternative energy is not unreliable solar and wind, but reliable carbon-free nuclear energy. Sweden gets 40% of its electricity from nuclear, France over 70%. While nuclear energy is smeared as unsafe, it has actually been demonstrated by study after study to be the safest form of energy ever created. And yet, Green New Deal proponents who say that we have 12 years to save the planet from rising CO2 levels vigorously oppose nuclear, in addition to all fossil fuel use. By opposing every affordable, abundant, reliable form of energy, the Green New Deal won't protect us from an existential threat. It is an existential threat. I'm Alex Epstein, author of The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels for Prager University. Okay, I don't know why my uh, my liner didn't play. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show right here on the True Talk Radio Network. You could get in on the conversation. Number to call, one 669 1292 That's one 669 1292 And uh, you could be here. You could be here on the show with me, uh, getting on the conversation. So I want to tell you a little bit about something else that happened this week that... Um, uh, aside from the mass shootings and Donald Trump, I don't want to talk about him anymore. Uh, let's let's get into something else. So uh, I I've been I've been kind of busy on uh, on Facebook. Those of you who follow me on Facebook see that I post a lot of stuff on Facebook, and um, and one of the things I posted just just the other day, just um, just just the other day, just on Friday, was a conversation I had with one of the lefties, and. Um, I do this occasionally. I'll, I'll have a conversation with somebody who uh, who I disagree with, who disagrees with me, and then I'll post up the transcript of the conversation uh, online to to highlight the you know to to get a conversation started to to get it um, to get it going. So the lefty that I had a conversation with was a progressive Zionist. That's what they call themselves, progressive Zionists, big time lefties who support the BDS movement, who want the destruction of the state of Israel. That, that, that's what they are, essentially. So this progressive Zionist who, who follows me on Facebook and, uh, and listens to the show and, and likes to harass me every now and then, there's a couple of them who do that. Uh, but this one in particular uh, is, is quite vocal at, uh, at harassing me. Uh, he sent me a message. So this is what the progressive Zionist said. I'm not going to name him on the show because I'm not into embarrassing people and uh, insulting people. So I, I, w- I won't name the person on the show. But this is what the person said to me. In order to attain peace, Israel must give up the West Bank and return it to the Palestinians. I answered, I couldn't agree more. He, he, he said, really? Uh, I, I thought you'd fight me on this one. So I said, why would I fight you? I agree with the plight of refugees. In fact, I think you should lead by example. There are thousands of Syrian refugees who are living in hotels across Canada and the United States. They're, they're, they're living in squalor. You should, give them, you should give some of them at least, or at least one family, your home and your business. Just think, if every Canadian gave up their home and business, and if every American did the same, to a Syrian refugee, the Syrian refugee crisis would end quickly. The uh, progressive Zionist said, no, I wouldn't do that. Where would I go with my family? How would I support them? Your idea is ridiculous. I answered, exactly. Because by asking Israel to give up the West Bank, it's easy to say those words. Give up the West Bank. Just give the the so-called Palestinians the West Bank. Give the Arabs the West Bank. 
So easy to say. But you know, the West Bank is filled with people living in towns. These are their homes. These are their towns. These are their businesses. It's how they make a living. Any land given by Israel to anybody else, I don't care if they're, uh, they're, they're so-called Palestinians or, or Syrians or whoever they give land to, any land given to by Israel to somebody else means that Israel is displacing people who are living on that land. So if Israel is displacing people who are living on that land, they are creating new refugees. The people who live on the land now suddenly become the refugees. And if they suddenly become the refugees, then, then what, where is Israel solving a problem here? You're replacing one problem with another problem. The solution is not for Israel to give up land. The solution is for the people who are opposing Israel to agree that Israel has the right to exist, that Israel is there and Israel's not going anywhere, and then try to find a solution for a problem that they created themselves when they invented the Palestinian people in 1964. They created this problem. So instead of blaming Israel for a self-created problem, maybe they should try to find a creative way to solve this problem themselves. And a creative way to do that, by the way, would be to allow these so-called Palestinians to return to the countries they came from. Because if you look at the last names of a lot of the Palestinians, the people who call themselves Palestinians, they are uh, Syrian last names and Egyptian last names and 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 uh, Lebanese last names. There, there was nobody living in the land that they claim was Palestine. Mark Twain in the 1800s visited the land and said, this is a barren wasteland. Why would anybody want to live here? It's a hellhole, he said. But allowing people to create this false narrative and living into and, and, and giving into this false narrative and allowing this false narrative to take over the conversation is, is just wrong. So anyway, that's what I answered him. I said, no, I wouldn't do that. He answered, no, I wouldn't do that. Uh, where would I go with my family? How would I support them? Your idea is ridiculous. So then another lefty who considers himself a little more righty than lefty. He answers me and, he, and he's been attacking me a lot online lately. Sharon Koifman, he, he's been on the show a couple of times. He used to be on the show with, uh, with me on Israel News Talk Radio. He's been attacking me a lot lately on online. You could, uh, you could take a look at my Facebook. Almost everything I post, he attacks. He wrote, this is clearly self-talk because no way any progressive Zionist, even the fake ones, would have this response. Their response would be more like, this is, as usual, an incredibly far-fetched metaphor and there is no actual conflict in a Canadian home. If you have a really evil wife and always cause conflict in your home and you get separated, you might still need to separate your home even if she's completely wrong. That's a more appropriate metaphor, he said. As he explained to me, the nuances of Middle East uh, the Middle East conflict I answered because I'm just I'm just kind of fed up with this guy I answered yep I made it up because we all know that when a progressive doesn't like something I write it makes me a liar because you know the the, the mindset of the progressives are hey uh, you agree with me I have an opinion you agree with my opinion if you don't agree with my opinion you're a Nazi. That's 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 their mindset. You're a racist. You're a Nazi. You're a, I mean, whatever, whatever they could call you to 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 put you down. That's what they'll call you. 
if you don't agree with them. So in this case here, he called me a liar. You're a liar. You made it up. So he answered, do you honestly want to tell me that you had this interaction with more than one person and he was not special needs? So now he's insulting, he's insulting people with special needs. So, so you see, that's how it progresses. The conversation with the, with the progressive, and I'll use that term in, in quotation marks because I think progressives are actually regressive. But I'll use that term in, in quotation marks. So this is what happens with conversations with progressives. So first they insult you. They want to insult the idea. They'll never go after the idea. They'll never go after the concept. They'll never argue the concept with you. And, and the reason they don't do that is quite simply because they have nothing to say. They, they have no argument. So, so you want to have an argument with them. You want to have a, a, a good, decent argument with them. Look, I argued with this guy for, it must have been nine hours a couple of weeks ago. Over an article I had posted, I'm doing a blog now on Israel, on, on Israel um, Times of Israel. So if you go to Times of Israel, go to their blog section, search for Howie Silberger, you'll find my blog there. I had a nine-hour argument with this guy. And at the end of the nine hours, I realized he had never even read the article. He just read the headline. Because they don't care what your argument is. They don't care what the substance is. All they care about is destroying you, inviscerating you. Just take a look at the, uh, at the YouTube videos that I posted up. This guy destroys that guy. We got to destroy everybody. We can't have a conversation anymore. There's no such thing as a conversation. Now it's just about destruction. I must destroy you. You must destroy me. He must destroy her. She must destroy everyone. Everybody has to destroy everybody. Nobody can have a conversation. It's all about destruction, about ripping down the person and destroying them and burying them, killing them, killing them, not killing their argument, killing the person. So I, I and you can see it. You can see it in the media coverage. You can see it in the way people uh, uh, react to Donald Trump. It's not that I don't like his policies, which was always the case when, when the uh, it was always the case when the um, when somebody didn't agree with the president. It's always the case. I don't like this president's policies. I I don't like this president because I don't like his policies. I don't like what this president stands for. But it's gone beyond that. Now it's no longer about his policies because his policies are actually fairly good. If you look at actually what Donald Trump has actually done as president, not what the media has reported, but what Donald Trump has actually done as president, some of the stuff he's done, most of the stuff he's done, has been actually, he's been actually a very good president to most of the United States. But if you read the media and you listen to, and you listen to CNN and you listen to some of the media, they're not attacking his policies. They don't care what Donald Trump's policies are. They're attacking him. So it's no longer, uh, I don't agree with the president because I, I don't like his policies. I don't like this president because I don't like his policies. It is now, the president is a racist. The president is a sexist. He's a misogynist. He's, he's a rapist. He's a, whatever they could throw at him. That's what politics has become. It's very sad. It's very, very sad. It's extremely sad, and that's the way it's become uh, when you when you when you when you argue world events. So, if you want to argue the Arab-Israel conflict, this is this is what it's become. If you want to argue American politics, this is what it's become. It is uh, it, it is it is very 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 sad. 
one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two is the number to call. One eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie the Howie Silberger. I almost said Howie. This is the Howie Silberger show on the True Talk Radio Network. Do you and I share the same goals? If we do, we can disagree, even strongly disagree, and still have a productive discussion. We might even reach a compromise. But if we don't share the same goals, then what? Then, rhetorically speaking, we're at war. And only one side can win. Let me explain. My parents and brother lean more to the liberal side of the political spectrum than I do. We argue, we slightly nudge each other, we change opinions a little bit, and then we go back to Scrabble. They were very upset when President Trump withdrew from the Paris Climate Accords. I was happy. We argued about it, but it was all good because we share the same goals. We all want clean air and water for our children. We all want to develop clean energy. We want America's economy to prosper. We want to be less reliant on fossil fuels. I thought the Accords were a bad deal for America. The best way to lower carbon emissions, in my opinion, is to let the free market and American ingenuity loose on the problem. They, in contrast, think the government needs to step in, fund the research, and keep the corporations in line. Doesn't matter, because we have the same goal, a healthy planet. We also disagree on gun control. My brother's a little more with me, but my dad wants a lot more regulation because he wants fewer school shootings. So do I. So does my brother. But I believe if a potential killer knew he'd encounter teachers and administrators well-trained in the use of weapons, we'd have less shootings. Different solutions, shared goal. I've always thought this is how America is supposed to work. Liberals and conservatives respectfully arguing over the best solution to a shared goal. But now there's a third party in the game, the left. And they're changing the rules. When I was growing up, the left was on the fringe. But now they've moved into the mainstream. They've pretty much taken over our educational system. They're in the media and corporate HR departments and more and more, sad to say, in the Democratic Party. The left doesn't share the same goals that liberals and conservatives do. They have a whole different set of goals. Let me give you some examples. Raising kids without a gender identity or encouraging them to question their sexual identity, this to me is a form of child abuse. I don't care who's doing it, parents, teachers, doctors. Their goal is not my goal. Here's another one. Demonizing white people and males for the world's problems is not part of my value system. There is no shared goal in that. I believe in merit and character over race. But now it's cool to say that white males have done all the bad things in the world. I have two little boys. I get angry just thinking about people telling them they're responsible for racism and sexism. Beautiful little children who just dance in the kitchen and smile. So that's not a shared goal. Here's the third example. People can differ about how many legal immigrants America should allow into the country. But when it comes to whether America should have open borders, well, there's no shared goal there. A country with open borders ceases to be a distinct country. And I want America to remain America. All these ideas, and I could give you a dozen more, are coming from the left. They want to turn the history of Western civilization, of America, a history I'm very proud of, into a highlight reel of human errors. These ideas threaten everything I cherish, my family, my community, my country. And what does the left offer in its place? Nothing constructive that I can see. What are their goals? Kids with no clear sexual identity? 
Groupthink based on race, gender, class. No national pride or borders. Are you okay with that? My issue is not with liberals like my brother and my dad and a lot of my friends. We can argue until the cows come home. My issue is with the left because we don't share goals. This war of goals isn't coming. It's here. You need to decide which side you're on, the liberals and conservative side or the left's. Your future depends on it. I'm Owen Benjamin for Prager University. I was elected to the Parliament of Canada. This is the Howie Silbiger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Call 1-877-669-1292. And coming up after 8 o'clock, we'll be joined by Mark David, my intrepid reporter from Toronto, and Mr. Sheldon Eric Freed. My long-suffering producer. So that's uh, so so that Prager University clip actually explains everything that I, I was saying. That you know, it's very hard to have an argument, to have a rational political argument today. It is it is it is almost impossible because the left, and I'm not talking about liberals. So let's let's just be clear because. Um, I know people like twisting my words and I say things on the show and then suddenly I start reading online. People said, Howie said this and it's not what I said. So let's let's just be clear what we're talking about. I'm not talking about liberals because liberals you could have a conversation with. Liberals want to hear your point of view, want to argue their point of view. We could agree to disagree. If you're a liberal person, I could have a conversation with you. We could agree to disagree and we could move on. We could still be friends. Lefties... Not so much. We could have a conversation and we could not agree to disagree because a lefty will never agree to disagree with you. Because if you are wrong, you are wrong. In their mind, you are wrong 100%. I am right. You are wrong. You have no right to your opinion. And I must destroy you. I must not let you speak on campus. I must not let you have a radio show. I must not let you have a television show. Uh, if I disagree with you, I must boycott your advertisers. I must pressure your network to fire you. Not because you're a bad broadcaster. Not because you did something wrong, but because I don't agree with you. That is the lefty point of view. And, and so it's been it's been happening, and uh, you know nobody's been canceled yet. But that's that's what's been happening. And that's not new. That's not something new. That's that's been going on for a long time. Remember years ago. Years and years ago. Dr. Laura Schlesinger, I don't know if you remember Dr. Laura Schlesinger. She uh she did a show, she was nationally syndicated for on, on hundreds of stations across North America. And uh, years ago, Dr. Laura came out with a statement on one of her shows. Somebody asked her a question, and she came up with a statement saying that she believes that homosexuality was a biological error. And she says, biologically, humans are, are designed biologically to be attracted to the opposite sex. So if they are attracted, if there are two humans that are attracted to the same sex, 
then that would be a biological error. Okay, that was her opinion. She was a talk show host. She was entitled to her opinion. Now, a bunch of gay groups, a bunch of, uh, of the homosexual lobby did not like the fact that she said this on national radio. They had a huge issue with her saying this on national radio. So she had just signed a contract to host a television show on CBS. They started, the, the gay lobby started lobbying CBS to cancel her show, started lobbying her network to cancel her network. Because their goal wasn't, uh, let's have an argument, let's, let's have a discussion here. Your biological understanding of what homosexuality is and our reality about what homosexuality is might be different. So let's have a conversation and, uh, and try to hash it out. Let's try to figure out uh, how we could come to some kind of um, mutual understanding over, over homosexuality. They didn't do that. They never went to her and said, Dr. Laura, let's, um, let's sit down and talk. What they did was she was uh, she was attending a fundraiser the next night for for kids with cancer. And they they showed up at the fundraiser and they threw paint on her. That's the first thing they did. They attacked her, physically attacked her. Now, they physically attacked her for words, she said, for 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 expressing an opinion on her radio show, which was an opinion radio show. She's an opinion host. So first they threw paint on her. When that didn't detract her, she got into her show the next day and, and told the story about paint being thrown on her and how she was being harassed for her opinion. They started lobbying her network and the TV network to drop her show. CBS, like most networks, caved to the pressure and dropped her. Her radio career came to a halting end. She chose to end the radio career because she couldn't put up with it. She didn't want to put her family and herself at physical danger. She didn't want these nutcases who were following her around, who were sitting in front of her home, who were screaming and yelling at her to, uh, to physically attack her and hurt her or her children or her husband. So she quit radio. She moved her show from nationally syndicated over 100 stations across North America to a satellite station where she currently still does her show on satellite radio where they're not going to get her thrown off satellite radio. And this is what happens. This is how they silence opposition. This is how the left works. Now, at the time, we didn't have the freak-out mentality that they have today. Sure, the, uh, the, the homosexual community freaked out over Dr. Laura's statement, and they went nuts and, and, and went completely left and did the lefty thing. But there, it wasn't freak. It wasn't like everybody. It wasn't like today, where everybody's insulted by everything. That that didn't happen back then. If Dr. Laura today had done the exact same thing, and made the exact state, same statement today, somebody would take a shot at her. I, I'm convinced that it. Somebody would go and try to physically attack her. They try to kill her. And that's what's scary about the situation today is that the tolerance level has dropped to zero. That. Because we've created this culture and social media has a lot to do with it and, and the mainstream media has a lot to do with it. We've created this culture of destruction, of you can't have a conversation with somebody. Ben Shapiro can't come to your campus and give a speech and you can't have a conversation with him by asking a question. You can't have a debate with him. You must get up to eviscerate him. You must get up to destroy him. It can't just be a conversation. It can't be just Mr. Shapiro. I disagree with you. 
and this is why I disagree with you, and he would throw back another fact, and you throw him a fact, and you would have a two-minute debate. That doesn't exist anymore. Now you must eviscerate your, your enemy. You must, you must destroy them. You must, you must cremate them. Because if you don't cremate your enemy, then you haven't, uh, you haven't learned how to, uh, how to have an argument in 2019. There are no more arguments. There's no more facts. It's my opinion versus your opinion. And if I'm a lefty, my opinion trumps your opinion. And, and, and it is the only opinion that matters. Now, of course, this is all a hierarchy. So you, you have to look at victimization because that, that factors in here now, too. Because the, the larger, the, the, everybody wants to be a victim because being a victim makes you, uh, puts you higher on the social scale. And puts your opinion higher in the classification, the lefty classification of important opinions. Your opinions get higher and higher the more victimized you appear to be. Which is why everyone's trying to be a victim, which is why everybody is, uh, is insulted by everything. So let, let's, let's, let's look at this a little closer. Uh, victimization, the victimization theory of the left, the, the way they've set this up, uh, is actually is actually quite scary because it is very racist. So who is on the bottom of the list when it comes to uh, when it comes to public opinion and whose opinion counts? It is of course old white men. Old white men, if they express an opinion, or old white men uh, want to say something or want to be want to be normal and want to have a normal conversation. They are dismissed as old white men. You are racist. You supported slavery. And therefore, your opinion does not count at all. Old white men are on the bottom of the list. Who's on the top of the list? I, I, would, I would guess it would be transgender, black, uh, black transgender, whatever. Right? They, they would be on the top of the list. Because they are today the m most, uh, they are today perceived as the most victimized people on the planet in, in lefty land and everyone else f sort of falls in between so you know homosexuals used to be on the top but they've been pushed down by transgenders and uh, and, and everything else kind of follows in between so when you take a look at the at the at the landscape of lefty land and we all have to live within lefty land because we've given the left so much power we've allowed them to take over education we've allowed them to take over media we've allowed the lefty philosophy to permeate in our students in our schools kindergarten kids have tr have have transvestites reading stories to them in libraries in the states why it's so important for transvestites to read stories to children is beyond me but they're fighting for that right they're fighting libraries are fighting for the right to have transvestites come in and read stories to little kids now, I don't understand the concept of why this is important. Nobody's explained to me what makes this transvestite uh, an important factor in, in the reading of stories to children. And if you know, if you have any idea why this is so important, you could call me. Because I would love for someone to explain this to me. It makes no sense. Why libraries are fighting so hard. So transvestites could read stories to six-year-olds. I, I don't get it. And if you, if you know, if you have any idea, give me a call. one 669 1292 
I would love to know why. But that's what's happening. It's happening across the states. And this is all a result of the rejection of religion and religious values. This is what it comes down to at the end. Religion and religious values have disappeared. People do not respect religion anymore. Religion has become a bad word. has become a, uh, a curse word. God has become a curse word. And this is the problem. This is where we've run into a, a huge problem. The second you make God, religion, and morality bad words, words that people have to be upset about, people have to be embarrassed about, you know you've had a problem. Your, your, your society has, has descended into the dregs. It has descended into the, into the gutters. And we're scraping the bottom of the barrel. And that's where we're at now. And that has become also the people who support Donald Trump have also been put into that category. By the left, by the radical left, the people who support Donald Trump put into that category where a lot of people who support Trump are afraid to admit that they support Trump. They, they, just, they just avoid it. They, they just avoid admitting that they were Trump supporters because they don't want to be they don't want to be penalized for their political point of view. Because you're not allowed to have an opinion anymore. Your opinion is meaningless. If you don't agree with a lefty, you are a Nazi, you are a liar, you are a racist, you are a sexist, you are a rapist. Look what they did to Judge Kavanaugh. Every single one of the allegations made against Judge Kavanaugh that he raped women and that he was part of sex parties and all the other garbage that they said about Judge Kavanaugh was proven to be untrue. It was proven to be untrue. The media ran with it. The media scorched his name. That was a scorched earth campaign. They, they killed him. They killed his reputation. And none of them turned out to be true. Consider this, because uh, nobody ever talks about this, but consider this. When Donald Trump decided to run for president, a tape came out from Access Hollywood. And we all remember the tape where he says, uh, I want to grab a woman by her. That tape was sitting in a vault somewhere in, uh, in, in the network that creates Access Hollywood. For 25 years, at least 25 years. It was sitting in the vault. It was just sitting there and uh, it was it was an off cut. What an off cut is, is uh, sometimes they run the camera when the principals aren't on screen and not to record anything, but just to just to do all the adjustments on the camera to 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 check the aperture to to make sure that everything is is recording properly. So this camera was running. While Donald Trump and uh, the then businessman Donald Trump and host Billy Bush were having a private conversation in the bus before they came out. Now, we learn uh, in radio, you learn very quickly that anytime you're near a microphone, you have to assume the microphone is broadcasting somewhere. So you watch your words when you're sitting near a microphone. 
So you're never going to, even if I leave the microphone on during the breaks, you are never going to hear me swearing or, or, or doing anything or saying anything that I can't air on the show. This is a family show. We keep the topics, uh, we keep the topics in the language family friendly 99% of the time. Even though, because we're online, we can do whatever we want. We choose to run the show as if it's on the AM radio. We haven't changed the show at all since we were on AM. And we don't intend to change it. This this is the way the show is, and this is the way the show will be until uh, we decide to stop doing producing shows. And uh, that's not anytime soon. We've been on for uh, over 25 years, and we're going to continue being on. Uh, don't worry about that. We're, we're not going anywhere. And Donald Trump didn't live by that rule, and he said some nasty stuff. Okay, fine. He was a businessman and he was a pig and everyone knew he was a pig for 30 years. The man was a pig. He lived in New York. He was a New York pig for 30 years. There was no doubt that uh, Donald Trump was a, was, was, a, was a real jerk. Everybody knew Donald Trump was a jerk. Somebody brought that tape from the archives of, I think it's NBC that owns Access Hollywood. From the archives of Access Hollywood to the Washington Post. Then the Washington Post published this tape. The only reason that this tape went went public, the only reason that the Washington Post published this tape, which is around for over 20 years, the only reason they published it was to smear the name of Donald Trump because it wasn't so much that his policies are better than his policies in this presidential election. And I'm not saying Donald Trump was any better than, uh, than Access Hollywood and the left. Although the, although the left took it to an extreme with the Mueller investigation. I mean, that took it way to the extreme. I'm not saying uh, Donald Trump is an innocent bystander in this whole thing. But what I'm saying is that, um, that their goal was to eviscerate him, was to destroy him, was to not destroy him politically, was to destroy him personally, was to destroy him as a person. I ran for politics 20 years ago. And then I ran again uh, in 16 or 15 years ago. And the first time I ran, I ran against a, 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 a seasoned politician who was, who was a really good guy. And he didn't attack me. And he, there were no attack ads. And he, he was good. He was, it was a pleasure to run against him. It was a pleasure to lose against him. To lose to him. The second time I ran was a guy who who ran the dirtiest campaign I've seen in in local politics in a long time. He was making up stuff about me and telling people, going door to door, before I got to a building, he would do the building, and then he would tell all these people this nasty stuff about me that wasn't true. And when I got to the building to go door to door, people would slam their door in my face because, holy cow, he came over and he told them this nasty stuff about me. And nasty stuff that wasn't true. Like, yeah, we all have, we all have, no one's perfect. We, we all do nasty stuff. But if you're, going to, if you're going to destroy me and destroy my reputation, at least destroy it on something I did. Allow me the opportunity to defend my actions. I mean, I'm not a perfect person. I've done stuff that I'm embarrassed about, as we all have. But at least attack me on that stuff. Don't attack me on the stuff that's, has nothing to do with 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 me stuff that I was not involved in stuff that uh, 
stuff that you made up. And that's how that election went. I lost the election by a 96% margin. 96% of the people did not vote for me and voted for him. 96% of the people who voted in my writing. And I was fine with that. I mean, you know, you win some, you lose some. And I have no problem. Landslides, I had no problem with the landslide. But when I win something, when I, if I get a job, if I, if I have a hit radio show like this one, if I get a job, if I, if I do something, I want to do it based on my talent. I want to do it based on, 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 on me, on, on, on the way I do it. I don't want to be stuck doing something or losing something or winning something. I, I don't care which way it goes. I don't want to win something on false pretenses, and I don't want to lose something on false pretenses. And the only thing that bothered me, and it's so many years later, and it still bothers me, is that I lost that election on false pretenses. I lost that election because the lefty that went up against me, the person who was the radical lefty who went up against me, and he had to have been a radical lefty in order to do something like that, went out to destroy me, not to argue the, the issues, because I, mean, I could have argued the issues with him, refused to debate me on the issues because he was too busy trying to destroy me personally and trying to destroy my reputation. And this is what bothers me. It bothers me about uh, politics back then. It bothers me about politics now. And I know people are going to tell me that's Howie. That's, that's the way politics work. If you can't take the heat, get out of the oven. And you're not 100% wrong. We all walk in with our eyes wide open. Doesn't mean I have to like it, though. Doesn't mean I have to agree with it. Doesn't mean I have to accept it. Just means I have to recognize it. That's the way the world works. And to me, it's a very sad story. Well, that the world works that way. You should be sad too. Because people should be arguing based on the issues. We could agree to disagree. We could, uh, we, we, we could fight it out. We could fight out the issues. But to, um, but to go about and try to eviscerate somebody. To go about and try to hurt somebody. Destroy their reputation. Destroy their families. That just doesn't work for me. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show. We are heard live every Sunday night from 7 to 9 p.m. You could feel free to uh, like us on Facebook because that's always nice. Go to Facebook.com, search for the Howie Silberger Show, click on like. You could uh, read my blog on HowieSilberger.com. You could read my blog on Times of Israel. Just go to Times of Israel, click on that blog button, and uh, you could search for the, the blog, the Howie Silberger blog. It's there. You could listen to this show on Sunday night and then on Wednesday morning at midnight at the beginning of Wednesday, the top of the morning, uh, I do a show on Israel News Talk Radio called Political Hitman. So you could do that. You can listen to that show too at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. All right, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, I'll be joined by my long-suffering producer, Mr. Sheldon Eric Fried. I'll be joined by my intrepid reporter from Toronto, Mr. Mark David. And of course, the lines are always open. Numbers to call, one 669 1292 I'll pay for the call. This is Scientific American 60-Second Science. I'm Julia Rosen. In the last few decades, astronomers have discovered thousands of exoplanets orbiting other stars. Now, scientists want to know what they look like. Do they have oceans? Atmospheres? Researchers have even searched for signs of plant life and the glow of alien city lights, although they haven't found any yet. 
we've moved on from being excited about finding exoplanets to now having to get our kicks out of characterizing them. Moya McTeer, a graduate student at Columbia University and the host of the podcast, So You Think You Can Science. Last year, McTeer's advisor challenged her to find something else on exoplanets, evidence of extraterrestrial mountains, because mountains could offer clues about what's going on inside these planets. The way that those form is through the collision of tectonic plates or through lava building up in the same place over millions of years. And so that's one of the most exciting things, in my opinion, that can come out of this project, is actually being able to figure out what's underneath the surface of an exoplanet. The trick was how to do it. Modern telescopes are powerful, but they can't capture pictures of exoplanets. Instead, a common way astronomers detect them is by watching as they pass in front of their star, blotting out some of the light. McTeer riffed on this idea to find a way to look for mountains. And so what we're doing with this mountains project is saying, okay, if a planet has a mountain on it, and if that planet is rotating, then the mountain will show up in the silhouette and the silhouette will change because the planet's rotating. So we can study that changing silhouette, that changing shadow, to get an idea of what the surface of the planet looks like. McTeer tested the technique by modeling how the rocky planets of our solar system would look through modern telescopes like the James Webb if they were far away. And we were pretty heartbroken when we found out that it wouldn't be possible. But McTeer calculated that it might be doable with something like the Extremely Large Telescope, which is currently under construction in Chile. Even this telescope probably wouldn't be able to measure the topography of a Mars-like body if it orbited a large star like our sun. But if that planet circled a smaller star, like a white dwarf, it would block out enough light to be detectable. The research is in the monthly notices of the Royal Astronomical Society. So one day soon, we may be able to confirm the existence of exoplanetary mountains. And with even better telescopes, maybe molehills. Or even moles. Thanks for listening. For Scientific American 60 Second Science, I'm Julia Rosen. Truth is stranger than fiction. And this is the proof. This is Ripley's. Believe it or not. The tombstone of Margaret Johnston and her six children in Trenet, Scotland, was erected over an empty grave. The family vanished in the 17th century without a trace. Believe it or not. In a moment, I'll tell you about the man who paid for his own assassination. When a man lends another man money, he certainly does not intend that it should be used to pay for his own assassination. But such was the case with William the Silent, father of Dutch independence, who advanced 12 crowns to a man by the name of Balthazar Gerard. Gerard had requested an audience with William, and the money was given to him to pay for his transportation. But the money was used by Gerard to buy a gun with which he shot William dead. Believe it or not. Truth is stranger than fiction. And this is the proof. This is Ripley's. Believe it or not. Bono was a French dwarf. He was only 18 inches tall at the age of 11. However, he ate 40 large cucumbers, 30 figs, and a whole watermelon for dessert each day. Believe it or not. In a moment, I'll tell you about the guard who was faithful even after death. Stephanos was a guard at the Monastery of St. Catherine on Biblical Mount Sinai. On his deathbed in the year 580, he pleaded to be permitted to continue his services. 
This unusual request was honored, and so after his death, Stephanos was placed outside the House of the Dead. There, his fully clothed skeleton still guards the entrance today, a macabre reminder of the loyalty of a man many years after his death. Believe it or not. This is the Howie Silbiger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Call 1877-669-1292. All right, I don't I don't believe that last uh, believe it or not story. I, I don't believe that one because um we don't know where the uh, biblical Mount Sinai is. I mean, Ryan Morrow thinks he found it, and he's going to be on the show maybe next week. Uh, he thinks he found the biblical Mount Sinai, but uh, we don't we don't know where it is. So how could the body still be sitting outside a monastery there? It's just so weird. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show. We're right here on the True Talk Radio Network. The lines are open, one 669 1292 That's one 669 1292 we have, I have, we have, you have, I have, we all have, we all have, everyone has, uh, Mark David, my intrepid reporter from Toronto, and Sheldon Eric Freed, my long-suffering believe producer. Believe it or not. You believe, believe it. Believe it or not, we are here. They believe it or not, they are here, and I can actually attest to the fact that they are here. Yes. <laughs> not physically, but uh, we are certainly here. He's not even on for three minutes, Mark, and he's already bu- uh, bushed it up. You know, um, you, you know, it's the nine days around here on the Howie Silberger show. When we start playing uh, audio clips that appear to be from 1904 or something. Yeah, probably. Yeah. 19... 1904 is giving him a lot of credit. Usually at least it's 1867. Uh, I, yeah. I think those clips are from 1920 or 1930, something like that. Did they yeah. have radio back then? Ask I don't know. What's that, 19, oh. 1939. 1939. 1939, right. What I want to know is... Yes. Uh, where did you get this from? Uh, I have a I have a place where I get all this stuff from. It uh-huh. uh, um, yeah, it, it, I have a lot of it. <laughs> oh, you definitely have a lot of it. There's no doubt about it. You do have a lot of it, Howie. You know, this stuff is considered a form of torture in some parts of the world. You know that, right? <laughs> you yes. know, you know, every night, every night, and uh, all weekend long, except for the show, we yeah. play old time radio. So the old time radio ranges from 1920 to uh, 1960s. Um, and uh, there's there's over a hundred thousand shows in the system. You know, it's oh, amazing wow. how well it's actually sounds. I don't know if they remastered or what they did, but it's the quality. You know, I know back at that time, going back many years ago, the enhancement is not as sophisticated as it is today, but it's pretty darn good how they how, how they really got it to de- decent broadcast quality, though. Yeah, we make yeah. one of that stuff left and right, but yeah, the it's pretty crisp for something that old. Yeah, like that's really incredible. I'm really awed by it every time I hear it. And when I used to work with uh, Peter Anthony Holder when I was his producer, and we used to play it always going out of the show. Right. And it was incredible. And he had it at that time. We were playing it off cassette tapes. Wow. Oh wow. So you didn't have that? You had that cassette hiss in it. Sh- Actually, it was not bad. Like considering, because a lot of cassette. Well, the the eight tracks used to be the worst. The eight tracks were known for their hiss. The cassettes were somewhat better, obviously not the same as CD quality, but even CD quality has it, its limitations. Right. But I was actually surprised uh, when Peter used to come in and hand me the cassette tape, and it was on a, at that time, it was on a Maxell tape. 
hmm. which was oh, the state, wow. which was the state of the industry, or it was either um, Maxell. Yeah, it was Maxell usually, and the quality of it was very impressive. Yeah, I remember Maxell tapes. Yeah. Now I feel old. Uh, Memorex, it, it, Memorex it was, was the uh, was, was Memorex the too was a good one. Was a good brand to tape, but I think Maxell was the. Maxell was the station industry at the time. Even well, remember, when the reel-to-reel machine came on, it used to be Maxell reel-to-reel recording tape that production used to use to make the commercials. Well, remember, I remember X- using Kodak tapes for the VCR. We had a friend who uh, yeah. was a sales rep for Kodak, and we often got a lot of free stuff from him. Memorex, uh, Memorex tapes. Uh, their uh, their slogan used to be, "Is it live or is it Memorex?" Exactly. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It was actually a very good commercial too. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. I'm Howie Silberger. He's Sheldon Freed. He's uh, uh, Mark David. <laughs> you know, I almost forgot who. Believe you it or not, yeah, it's been a long time since Mark's been on the show. A week at least. A, l- a little less time than the last extended absence. Uh, I'll explain myself. I was in Montreal, uh, and he didn't Trevor. come visit the studio. You see, he was in Montreal and he didn't come visit. Now you're going to hold that above my head. In my defense. Uh, I was busy with family uh, on those occasions. Otherwise, uh, I would have done it. But if I ever end up moving back to Montreal, which could be a possibility someday, I haven't ruled it out, uh, we could do the show live in your studio, Howie. Well, Provided there's space or an extra mic or something. Well, you know, we could always make space for you, Mark. Because, uh, sure. Because, you know, you know we, we, we like you. We like you and we like you to be on the show with us. Well, I like to be on the show with you as often mm. as I can. Well, Mark, we have a phone call. So, we do. so let, let's go to the phones. Uh, hi, um, Nathan, how are you? Hi, how you going, guys? I'm great. Yeah, you hi, how are you? I'm good, I'm excellent. Uh, you were talking about uh, Maxell tapes. Oh, yeah. And also, I still, sure. I still got a, a VHS um, combo recorder. Really? Uh, I, I, I stopped using VHS about 10 years ago. I mean, I still have, I still have a, I still have a couple of VCRs, but I mean, I, I generally don't, don't touch them. Well, you used to remember the old Sony Betamax or Beta tapes? I think Betamax. Yes, yes. <laughs> I used to have the first uh, Beta uh, recorder going back, the oh, first yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, I never had a Beta machine. I uh, we went VHS. No, neither did I. Always went VHS. Yeah. We had VHS and then DVD. Yeah. yeah. You never went Laserdisc. I don't think so. We didn't have Blu-ray either. I still don't get that one. Yeah, well, Blu-ray's the standard now, no? Is it? Well, no, uh, digital's the standard, but Blu-ray... Digital's the standard now, yeah. But yeah. Bl- oh. but Blu- yeah, is Blu-ray still uh, popular in Canada or not? No, sure not really. No? Not, not as much anymore. Mm. Not as much. Oh. I mean, you still see people buying it here and there, but it's not. I think it's on its way out. I'm still... I think regular DVD is sort of back, and that's just... I guess the standard or something. And, and look, there was even rumors that vinyl was starting to come back as far as records were concerned. A lot and, of uh, prominent well, artists are actually releasing uh, uh, albums or singles on vinyl still. There, there is a demand for it. Yeah. But the yeah. thing was, I, I remember there was uh, Canadian vinyl, British vinyl, American vinyl. And I, uh, and I remember one time I went to a place, you would probably remember it, uh, Mark and... Um, uh, Mark and Howie, Phantasmagoria. Oh, yeah, they were on uh, Bishop Street, right? 
They were on park. No, oh. you're thinking of cheap thrills. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. But uh, there was Phantasmagoria, and they had the cheapest records at that time. It was three ninety nine. I think the most you ever paid for an album was five ninety nine. Is that still a thing? Does that still exist? No. No, no, no. It's, no, don't it's forget. Gone. Don't forget. Sheldon is like eighty five years old. So. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. I, and I've been out of the city for seven years. So. No, they, no, no, no. It's, it's, it's been gone for at least fifteen <clears> to twenty years. I'm sure it's been gone for many, many years. And I remember I, I once bought a Babe Ruth first bass album. Okay. And it was and it was on British vinyl. Weird. And you 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 would lift up the vinyl. You take it out of the jacket. You would lift up the vinyl with you you know between your two hands. Then you would lift up a Canadian or American vinyl, and the Canadian vinyl was so lousy. It was so light. It was crap. It was like I. And then I used to remember I was working on a top forty radio station. We used to have Casey Kasem coast to coast. Yeah. I think I told you the story, Howie, but I don't know if I told you, Mark or Nathan. It was a, it was a syndicated show, and it was the top, it was the top twenty hits. So it would be on vinyl. So the thing was, to to ensure that it wouldn't skip from one cut to another, because every cut as you were going, they were counting down the song. So it'd be number twenty would be on the first groove on side one, and then so on and so forth. So you had to weigh down the record, and the record was so floppy, and you would see these bumps, and if the the needle of the turntable was not weighed down properly, it would skip. And you would see the bumps on the record. You would see the bumps on the vinyl. So the, so the engineers at the time had to literally put the needle so heavy that it was because it would be played on Saturday and Sunday. Right. So after they would play on Saturday and it would finish, and then after Sunday it would finish, the needle would go through the record on the other side. Wow. So but crazy. that was the only way to prevent it from skipping. And the vinyl was terrible because they pressed like thousands of thousands of records. Right. And it was, you know, mass production and they used the, the cheapest, crappiest quality. Now, uh, my first experience with vinyl was finding an old record player in my grandmother's house and playing 33 records on 78 and listening to them go warp speed laughing yeah. my head off. Nathan, thank Remember, you so much I, for I calling. Appreciate the, it. the clown records. Yeah, take care, Nathan. Take care, Nathan. Yeah. It was. I remember the Bozo the Clown records, the seventy-eight RPMs. It was hysterical. Didn't uh, yeah. didn't, didn't Seinfeld do an episode on Bozo the Clown? Didn't, I don't remember. Like, I, he, I don't remember. But George at was that asking, time. Records came out at seventy-eight RPMs. George yeah, was asking. Then it was forty-five. And then it was thirty-three. I think. Yeah. You guys it was actually. It's you. technically now like long playing records. Like when when I was working at a classic rock radio station at that time, we were on we were on vinyl. So it was 33 and a third, not 33, but 33 and a third for some reason. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It was something on, it was something on, uh, and it was all, it was all direct drive turntables. It was never a belt driven turntable because if the belt ever broke, you were in trouble. Right. Of course. I guess when you write up the description for the show later, Howie, uh, when you post it online, you'll have to say Mark, Sheldon, and Howie and Nathan talk about uh, old technology. I am. Um... I remember my first time in CJD. Mm-hmm. Uh, not working there. I was a student, and I went in to visit. Right. And there was a talk show host named um, Melanie King. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and she was uh, she was in studio, and she was doing her show. And oh, jeez. I was standing in master control, and she gave me a dirty look because I she didn't know she, nobody told her that I was going to be there. And uh, at one point, I knocked over the turntables. You knocked over the turntables. Like I backed oh, into them and I knocked them over and they hit the ground with a big kazak. Oh, man. Which, which she heard in this studio and then she threw me out of master control. That was my first time at CJD. Wow. 
Wowee. Yep. I remember on uh, I remember when I was working with Melanie King, and I was working part time at CJD before they hired me full time. And uh, there was a guy, a technical producer by the name of Rob, who's now on the Weather Network. I speak to him every once in a while. And uh, so anyway, uh, I wound up taking his place. He was on vacation. So I go in and everybody's telling me, oh, you're working with you're working with Melanie King. Good luck. And they told me everything. And I'm sitting there and I'm going into master control and I'm shaking like a leaf. I'm scared out of my mind. And I and I remember Melanie King says, can I speak to you for a minute? I said, I looked at myself, you know, I, I said to myself, I said, I don't know what I did, but I'm in deep trouble. I'm in deep trouble. She puts me in the production studio, which was right next to CJD Master Controls, you would remember. Mm-hmm. I go in, Melanie King saying, contrary on the rumors that you must have heard, okay, if you listen to me and you do exactly, exactly the way I want it, everything is going to be fine. So, right. Okay, okay, that's fine. I'll follow your lead. I have no problem with that because my job, is, as anybody would know as a technical producer, makes the host and make the show sound good, right? Normal. Okay. Naturally. Yeah, so I go in. I do my spiel for a week or two weeks. I cleared everything with her, whatever. It was a, great, it was a fantastic two weeks. She was absolutely wonderful to me. She treated me like... She treated me like, and I was really lucky, but I would hear some people that would work with her and they, oh my God. And she was the queen of talk show radio because she had, she followed Neil McKenty. Right. If you guys remember Neil McKenty. And he was the one who came out with the lines are blazing. And lines she took over, blazing. she took over Neil McKenty's job and she's had it for quite a few years. And then talk about, talking about amazing things she did. She, her husband, Serge, and who was a recording engineer, actually. I never met him, French-Canadian guy. And they just picked up, packed up their stuff, and moved to Australia. Just like that. Just like that. Like, there was, she had no family there. She had nothing. Her mother lived in Israel. I don't know if her mother's still alive today. I hope she is. Because I remember when they had the Iraq uh, Scud missile thing, Melanie would keep calling her mother to see how she was doing. Right, on the air. Yeah. On the air. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and she would she would call and I believe Richard King I believe it's either her brother or cousin that owns Paragraph Bookstore here in Montreal and McGill College, right? And um, but Melanie was very nice to work with, uh, but you know it's amazing how a lot of people and I, you know you find this out the hard way, a lot of people you know when you first get into radio Howie and you could attest to this you know you probably think oh these people are gods and this and that and I remember the first time I worked with George Balkan. So Thumbs Repa was my boss at the time, and that's he hired me full time. And he would put he would post the, the schedule on the you know in master control for two weeks of who's working what shift whatever. So anyway, I finish uh, I finish on um, Thursday, and he was still doing one more shift before Thumbs was going away on holidays. And I take a look at the schedule, and I take a look, and I see I'm I'm not at ten at ten o'clock at that time till four. I'm from 5.30 to 10. So I'm looking at this. I'm going, there must be some mistakes. I go by Thumbs' office, and I said, Thumbs, I think there was a mistake on the schedule. So he says, what is it? Uh, Let's go into master and see. And I point out my name from 5.30 to 10. He says, oh, no, that's no mistake. George knows you're working working with him. He's expecting on Monday. What the heck? What? Like, I was like, what? I said, said, I never worked with this. He says, if anybody will teach you 
it's going to be George. It's going to be George and it's going to be Gord. It's good. And, you know, like I'm telling you, those those two, and there was no Mr. Balkan or Mr. Sinclair. No, no, it I'm was, going with first name basis. Yeah, it was first name basis, but of course I didn't know any better because I was like trying to be polite and everything. And I called him Mr. Balkan and he was, he was upset. And he says, it's, it's George, all my people that, all that people that work with me, not for me, he said, work with me. They call me George. All right, you're listening to the Howie Silberger Show right here on the True Talk Radio Network. Number to call, one 669 1292 That's one 669 1292 It is now time for On the Mark with Mr. Mark David. This is On The Mark for August 4th, 2019. Good evening, I'm Mark David, and here comes the news. YouTubers can go viral and become popular in an instant. Whether the specialty is fitness, political commentary, or makeup tutorials, the revenue made from posting videos regularly can turn YouTubing into a profitable full-time job for some young people. This especially holds true for, for Baram, a South Korean YouTuber. At only six years old, this little girl is one of the country's biggest YouTube stars with over 30 million subscribers. Her two channels feature a vlog and toy reviews, and she rakes in around 3.5 billion won per month, which is just over $3.8 million Canadian. Oram's channels are so profitable that she and her parents were able to purchase a five-story building in Seoul's trendy Gangnam district for 9.5 billion won, or just over $10.4 million Canadian. The purchase was made through a company that was founded in Boram's name. Needless to say, this youngster has turned YouTube profitability into child's play. And, uh, you know, we made that kind of money here on True Talk Radio. I wish. You made that kind of money on True Talk Radio? Mark and Sheldon are actually uh, are actually broadcasting out of their, um, out of their gold-plated cars. Oh, yeah, right, gold-plated cars. I don't own a car, young man. Uh, I don't own one either. I wish I did. Sure, that's what, that's what they want you to believe, but I know the I truth. subscribe to a car-sharing service, and the love of my life, my wonderful lifelong partner, I use her car on occasions. Mm, okay. I do not so, own a car. That, that, so I do drive her car, yes, I am insured on a car, yes, but I don't own a car, gentlemen. And it's gold-plated, is it not, Sheldon? That's it. It's not far from it. It's actually a coffee-colored car, so it's uh-huh. really it's pretty close gold-plated. I I do not own a car. I live in a basement. I live a pretty modest life. Uh, car ownership maybe in the future, but not for now. All right. Uh, what else do you have for us, Mark? It's not uncommon for trains to get delayed due to mechanical failures or obstacles on the tracks. If you live in Toronto, you know this for a fact, and I've learned that the hard way, folks. But a train on the London Northwestern Railway service got delayed for an entirely different reason. According to Sky News, the train was delayed because a female passenger's long hair had gotten caught in a closing door. A member of the train's crew eventually had to make an announcement over the PA system to explain the reason behind the train's delay. The passenger was then told to pry open the door and ensure that her hair was inside the coach. Now that's what I call a hair-raising experience. Hey. Oh boy. Okay. Yeah. But they couldn't, they, they, so they, so the train was stopped when this happened or the train was still going when this happened. It was trying to leave and the doors were closing 
and the person had probably just ran onto the train, so her hair got caught in the door as she was running in. Yikes. Oh, brother. Ouch. That does not sound like fun. No, and oh. now when you see her, she probably looks like Sinead, Sinead O'Connor, I bet you. No oh, hair. gosh. <laughs> I thought about shaving my head like that at one point because I was just sick of my hair. At one point, I didn't get a haircut when I was younger for about six months, and I had this giant Jufro. I could still grow one today. And, uh, boy, that was... It was so it wasn't you, so that you would have been the first Jewish Harry Krishna then. Do you, do you think that uh, Mark would look funny with a, uh, with, with a shaved head? Uh, I think any one of us that are broadcasting presently would look very funny with a shaved head. Well, your head's almost shaved, Sheldon. You're you're pretty bald. Thank you. You know, the, you know, this is no wonder I'm people. I'm I'm Howie's long suffering producer. I wonder why. <laughs> uh, one day, Howie. One day, Howie. One day I'll catch up to you. You know that. Well, you're but, you're already getting gray. So yeah. So one day I'll catch up to you. But uh, when oh, I, yes. when when I when I do catch up to you, you'll probably be dead. That's that's the. Uh, that's, that's Th- what... Thanks very uh, much, pal. I really appreciate the. Uh, <laughs> you know, this is our own version of the nasty show here, people. It, it is. Uh, this is really nasty the only show. Just for right. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, you're you're a real mensch, Howie. Oh, I am. I am. Yeah, you're a real class act, buddy. Real class act. Uh, but, by the way, people out there, besides calling our wonderful toll free number, 1 877 and that's like us on is. Facebook. Would you do me a favor and tweet Howie? You really yeah, yeah, need that's, people that's to that's tweet him. Instagram him. Instagram me. Tweet me. Yeah. Great yes. By the way, uh, sh- shameless plug here. You can uh, do both of those at me as well. At Mark E. David on Twitter. It's Mark with a K. And at Mark E. David 7 on Instagram. Ah. There may be something of value there. That's up to you to determine. And Mark might actually answer you as opposed I to might. me. Yeah, how we have to go through his people, and you know, you know, his people have to contact your people. And That's it's right, whole, because we're 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 a huge, we're a huge operation it's, here. It's a huge money making operation. Huge. Absolutely. Sheldon sits on a gold on a solid gold toilet. That's how much money we make here. Oh yeah, solid. If gold we make toilet. enough money, we could actually purchase our own legit radio station and somehow turn what we're doing into a twenty four seven format that everyone in the Montreal vicinity could hear. Wait, wait, wait. Do you think somebody wants to listen to this 24 hours a day? Of well, course I mean, they do. Howie, come on. We play like music and old-time radio at night, but it would not be Not believe like, it or not. Not believe it or not. No, no, no. It'd be that, the that, True that. Talk radio schedule, but on a terrestrial radio Oh, I thought, I thought you I thought you were you meant the Howie Silberger show. All, no, all I don't think that night. would work. No, I, love, no, no, I no. love our show, but no. I don't know... Uh, if running at twenty four seven would be a good no. idea. I doubt no, it. I don't. I don't think so either. I, you know, I, I don't think because you know we have to keep it really fresh and everything like that. So we can't run it twenty four hours. You know, like yeah. yeah I mean, how would, we, how would we host it twenty four hours? Uh, well, the thing is, we we would we would do it, record it, like it would be recording, obviously on the art. Uh, oh, the oh you, you don't want to do it live? I, I thought no, no, no. Talking... We we do it live on segments like we're doing it now because it does get played. It does get played back another day. Other day parts. Well, it gets played back every day. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. we would obviously do a live show. Then we take take the best of the Howie Soberger show, which, it, as far as I'm concerned, is every minute of the show, especially when we're on. Every every second of the show. Is. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it, it, you know, Mark, David, and myself and you were on, then that's the best part of the Howie Soberger show. And right. then we, we run it in snippets during, the, you know, when we're not live, we run it through the uh, the rest of the 24 Oh, I thought you wanted to do a 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week live show. No, uh, no. No, nobody could ever do that. Plus, no. I, I think we all have better things to do. 
Really? Uh, we can, well, I can't say we have better things to do, but the thing is, we, for health reasons, it wouldn't work. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But we could never say we have better things to do than actually be on with the Howie Silberger show with the host, it's, Howie Silberger, who insults each and, one, each and every one of us, and we take it. I'm an equal opportunity insulter. I see that. I, I've been doing this for too long, some people yeah. might argue, and I, I've taken my hits, but uh, still alive. You don't have the gold cane that's marked the Howie Silberger show and, you know, uh, nothing like that, eh, Mark? Okay. Mm. All right. Anyway, uh, yes. continuing on with uh, our report, this week's random.org five-digit number is 52548. That number could come in handy in some ways, so write it down and don't forget it. That number again is 52548. 52548. Yep, keep that number somewhere handy. You never know uh, when it'll bail you out. On the Mark is committed to helping you win with words. Our word of the week mm-hmm. is is flype, F-L-Y-P-E, a noun of Scottish origin, which refers to rolling up your socks with pears, which is what I do whenever I do the laundry. Uh, use it in a sentence today and impress your friends with your whimsical word knowledge. Whimsical That's word it. knowledge. Did you miss yes. something, Mark, about it? Like if anybody wins money that, you know, they have yeah, to Yeah, he just money. dropped that because uh, he doesn't like us giving him hell about it right mark so you oh, just kind of dropped that line i know i, I dropped it. that line because it was dropped getting a little line. uh overused so we decided yeah, to okay. or i decided to uh you know do he, something else he, he just uh, dropped it because he doesn't like us giving him hell about it that's what's uh, going on plus it's my it's not hell it's just a suggestion a little advice we don't give plus, people also hell it's yet. my newscast and i can do with it as i see fit yes ah I mean, yes you can and uh, speaking of we've reached the end that's it for this week until next time this is mark david wishing you good night and good news I, I don't give mark any guidelines on this so he could do whatever he wants yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i come home this is how an on-the-mark newscast is written, in case anyone was ever wondering. I know uh, I, go I was. out on Sundays, I, mm-hmm. I, I come home, and then I spend a few minutes scanning the weird news headlines, find a couple of good stories, come up with some uh, good or dad joke level puns. Then, of course, we have the random number segment and the uh, win with words, uh, with the word of the week. And that's an on-the-mark uh, newscast. By the way, we have an on-the-mark shout-out. I forgot to mention this before. Today is my parents' 34th wedding anniversary, so... Muscle tough. Muscle tough to Phyllis and Michael David, who are in Cote St. Luke, probably relaxing and having a nice day. Uh, hope you guys enjoy it. It's 35 you know, next year. You know, it's funny. I bumped... Uh, when I bumped into you, Howie, and your mom... Yeah, and one of the in ju- one of the just for last thing, I forget which I, which one we were coming from, right? And I and I asked your mom point blank, I said, uh, Mrs. Silberger, do you ever listen to your son's radio show? <laughs> and I was actually surprised, and I really thought honestly that she that she, I thought she would listen to every single show that you do. No, she doesn't. And I well, I didn't know that. That's why I asked. She didn't right? even listen. Why to, not? She didn't even listen yeah. to every show I did when we were on AM. Why not? Well, because I mean, she has better things to do with her life than listen to me on the radio. Listen to her son, the gold, the gold person announcer on the microphone. Well, she hears oh me. God. Look, look, she speaks to me all the time, and uh, and like, yeah, how much, how much more of my voice could she possibly listen to and endure? Well, because you're because you're an on-air professional broadcaster, ladies and gentlemen. So I've she... been doing this for twelve years, and yeah. my family has—I can count on my hand. How many times my family has listened? They still know I do it. They still ask about it time to time. Are you still doing the show with Howie and everybody? I said yes, I am. 
uh, but it's uh, the number of times uh, I've been listened to by my own family here, uh, few and far between, but that's okay. They know sh- I do it. They Sheldon, know. How, how often does your family listen? Well, I'll tell you, it's funny that you mentioned that because when I'm on, when I'm on a, another radio station, which is Joel 106.7, and I do the news and the traffic, mm-hmm. uh, my mother listens to it all the time. Now I'm talking about this show, Sheldon. Uh, this show, I don't know. I didn't, honestly, I did not ask my mother if she ever listened to the show. I guarantee, I, I really don't know. I really I guarantee don't she's know. never listened to the show. I, I, I'd have to ask her. Like She probably didn't, but if my mother's listening now, I'm going to be shot. <laughs> but, uh, and uh, I know I know my girlfriend, sometimes she'll listen to it some because it's, you know, she's preparing supper and everything like that. So, you know, I understand oh, yeah. that. Yeah, she's actually, she's yeah. actually here with me tonight. So she is actually listening to me on <laughs> from, because I'm sitting exactly 50 feet from her. So yeah, she is oh. listening now. She's listened on occasions uh, there. I know on Mixed Vibes Radio, which is my other radio show, it's classic rock format that I have. Yeah, my mother has listened to that show. Wow! And in reality, and I'll I'll tell you another quick thing: the program director of the radio commercial radio station that I'm listening that I'm employed with, which actually it's exactly one year ago today I was hired on Jewel. Right. My program director listened to my classic rock station. And he decided to give me a break and to do the news and traffic. That's very nice. nice. Like and and uh, like I never even knew he listened to the because I posted on Facebook. Yeah. And uh, he is one of my friends on Facebook, but I didn't directly message him saying listen to my show. Yeah, but you see, and you I never. Get feedback, I got an email from him. I got a message from him saying, "By the way, I listened to your classic rock radio station, and I, I think, I, I think, you know, I, I think you really have a great smooth delivery. Would you be interested in on air work?" I said, "Well, yeah." So that's how I got on. Yeah, but you never advertise this show on your on your Facebook. I'm not. A, I can't advertise any show on my other um, on my other uh, show. I, no, on uh, Facebook, I'm talking about. On Facebook, uh, well, I when when you post it on my timeline and I say yes, it does go on my Facebook page. Oh, that's true. Yeah. That's yeah, true. I, it I does, can it advertise does. whatever I want. So yeah, because yeah. when you post it on my timeline and I say yes, and then I you know and they say like and you you put my name on, it's on my Facebook page. That is, true. that yeah. is true. Unless I'm not on the show, I take my name off of it. But if I know I'm going to be on, I leave it there. I just get it, get that well, posted. Well, when I know yeah. when I know you're not going to be on, I don't even bother putting your name on it. All right. Yes, uh, that's very good. That's how he does that a lot, eh? But sometimes even when we're on, he forgets to put our names on. Sometimes when you're on, I forget your names altogether. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> I have two first names, and yet uh, this is something that gets screwed up. Mark. Mark, who's the host of this show? I forget his name. Sowie Hilberger, I think. Oh, yeah, yes, that's right. Sowie Hilberger. Sowie, yeah. Yeah. Sowie yeah. uh, Mitchell uh, Hil- uh, Hilberger. Yeah. Mitchell. Huh? Uh, are, 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 are we on False Talk Radio or something? No, no. We're, we're, we're still trying to guess Howie's middle name. No, well, you're never going to guess it. Or, or Howie uh, Shlomo Hilberger, HSS. I don't think so. Okay. That actually sounds like it could work. I've, yeah, that I've actually can work. I wouldn't be surprised. And maybe Howie's not telling us the truth. I, I have a nephew named Shlomo, so it's not me. Okay. Oh, it's okay. Yeah. Or Sydney. No, no. Howie Sydney Silver. My middle name does not start with an S. Okay. Do you even have a middle name? Some people don't. Well, I have a middle name, yes. Bram. have one. And if anybody had Howie ever been... Bram Silver. And had H- you guys ever been paying attention to anything I've done in my entire life... Anything at all. I mean, you've been on the show for 11 years, Mark. More than that. Yeah. And Sheldon, you've been on for what? Seven years. And you guys... No, not, not, not seven years. I don't think it's... No, it's not Six that. Six years? No, it's, it's, I'm going on my sixth year. 
in October. Six yeah. years and 11 years, and you guys don't pay attention to a thing I do outside of this. Because if you did, you would know what my middle name is. That's the only reason I haven't told you. I think I have a guess, but I'm not even sure your Hebrew name is, although I'm willing to bet money you've mentioned that at least once. Oh, uh, Howie Yitzchak. No. No. Okay. Actually, my nephew's name is Shlomo Yitzchak. Oh, okay. <laughs> so at least so, I got your nephew. So you guessed right. my nephew's name. That's very good okay, of you. You, you. you should at least give me some credit on that one. Yeah. So I, I, Let me ask this. So I've been, a public, I've been a public figure for years and years and years. I've used my middle name over and over again. When? Not in the Suburban. No. And you guys do not know it. So it's on the Suburban? I didn't use it. When you were suburban. writing for them? Did not. Did not use it Suburban. Okay. So how would I know your middle name? Why wouldn't would you know? You? Why wouldn't you know my middle name? Why would because you not? You, you ne because you never mentioned. I know this. your that's middle why, name. That's that's why I'm proud because I always said, you know, I was given a middle name. Let's use a middle name, and I know people have middle names and they don't bother using it. I have a middle name. It's Elliot. I don't use it all that often. Although I if like you find Elliot. me on Elliot's a nice name. It's a great. If you find me name. on LinkedIn, I actually use the single letter letter form, uh, Mark E. David, and all of my social media handles, which are. Uh, uh, Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Mark E. David on Twitter, at Mark E. David 7 on Instagram if you want to follow along. Um, I, that's, I, I haven't really used my middle name for much. I mean, it's on official documents and cards and stuff, but there's never really been a need to use it. I got a question to ask you guys. How, yeah. often, do you, how often do you both use Twitter and Instagram and the other social media other than Facebook and LinkedIn? Uh, Instagram, I use a lot more than Twitter. I've never used Twitter. Uh, oh, everything you use Instagram a lot, okay. Everything okay. I post on Twitter, everything I post on Facebook gets copied to my Twitter. Uh, I use Snapchat a lot, and I, never I use used it. and I, I use Instagram. I, I don't use Twitter, just because I've never figured out the technology. I never understood why anybody would want to say anything in two hundred forty-six characters. It doesn't make sense. I remember uh, you, you're you're on Instagram. How I've seen you post things. Yeah, I'm on Instagram. You yeah, the studio sure. and whatnot. Yeah. yeah. I am definitely on Instagram. I'm definitely on Facebook. You'll, you know, I'm very active on Facebook. Uh, all the stuff I post on Facebook is posted on Twitter. So if you follow me on Twitter, uh, you'll see all the stuff I post on Facebook. Uh, but if you comment on Twitter, and a lot of people, I guess, do that, uh, or you answer or respond to me on Twitter, I probably won't see that because uh, I never, I never check the Twitter. Well, now is a good time to, to you know, to check your tweets because I would tell the, the listening audience to send. Your wonderful messages and everything. To okay, so, so what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to load up Twitter. Okay, I'm loading it up right now. Okay. As, as we speak, I'm going to load up Twitter, and I will tell you exactly what I have on my Twitter. Insert crickets here. So I have, for what it's worth, I'm going to do the same thing. I have 21. I have 21 notifications. Okay. okay. So how many of these notifications are uh, are actual um, direct tweets? Uh, none, because that would be coming to that would come in the uh, mailbox thingy here, right? So the last direct tweet, tweet I got was from, um, let's see, from, uh, when was it? Uh, July, Ju June 7th, 2018 was the last direct tweet I got. Hmm. That was I the last time I'm somebody you, tweeted me. It was June 7th, 2017, so it was a year ago. So that's how often I, um, I use um, Twitter. I'm looking through these 21 notifications. It's just notifications of other people tw tweeting. It's not a direct tweet. So the only the, the the first direct tweet I got from the show was Ryan Morrow saying, "Howie, I'm sending you a direct tweet." 
<laughs> that's, that's what he said seriously yeah yeah because uh because um because sheldon egged him on to do that when he was on the show remember oh i didn't know he actually did it but okay of course he did it so, so howie i uh it turns out you follow me on twitter i follow you as well and we have eight followers in common oh really uh one of whom is uh, uh a prominent rabbi and the other of which is a mayor okay yeah, for what it's worth, it's Bill Steinberg, Mayor Hampstead. Well, he, he started. I guess he started following me after he was on the show. Oh, yeah, that's probably it. But he follows me, too. All right. Nothing yeah. against Hampstead. I got friends there, a good place. Maybe he actually listens to the show. I don't know. Well, well you're not you, as talker, uh, so I guess you'll be, you'll, you'll be well there. I have, I have no idea who listens to the show. Uh, there's no way for me to know this. Oh, you can, um, on the server, you, it doesn't tell you on the server? I mean, I know how many people listen to the show. Okay, or or how they or how they how they listen, like whether or not it's uh it's um, you know it's mobile or or what or or directly. Yeah, yeah, I could tell you exactly like who listens, how they listen, yeah, what okay. their what what their operating system is. I mean, stuff like that. That's normal stuff that you get when you when you when you um when okay. you broadcast. But uh, I can't tell you who um I can't tell you who's listening. I have oh, no okay, idea okay, who I is understand. listening. Okay. You know, if I uh, there's no way for me to know who's listening. Like people-wise, I can't say, "Hey, Johnny, you were listening to the show last night." There's no way for me to do that. Uh, okay. Okay. Understood. Okay. But I mean, you know, that's uh, cuz I know we get thousands of listeners. I mean, we get like, you know, not, you know, 100,000 listeners all over the world that listen to this high-quality broadcasting show with the wonderful staff here thereof. We, we we do we have we have tons and tons and tons of listeners. I'm telling you, I I, I mean it's 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 more than I. There many that's why many cases your server has problems. It breaks down because the amount of people that are tuning in. It's actually yeah. it's actually you have no idea how true that is. Yes. <laughs> um, but I I know how true that is. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, sometimes it gets overwhelmed. <laughs> yes, it does. And then you scratch your head and you say, what's going on with my server? Ah, I know what the problem is. There's so many people that are listening to the show. Uh, what happens a lot is that uh, I'll, I'll get a message in the middle of the show saying, Howie, the app's not working. And uh, I'll go and I'll load up the, um, while, while we're talking, I'll go and I'll load up the, um, the, the app software and try to figure out why the app's not working. Because, you know, people, a lot of people listen by, uh, through the app, through the oh, True yeah. Talk Radio app. Yeah. Tons of people listen through the app. So, Tremendous amount of people. That's also why, why you're having a problem with your app, too. So I load up the app, and, and I see that, uh, you know, that there, there are 800 people listening on the app. And I'm like, um, uh, well, why can't this person hear it? <laughs> there are 800 other people listening on the app. Why can't this person hear it? And, and then it's usually a matter of me just texting the other person or, or messaging back the other person on Facebook saying, uh, maybe if you reboot your phone. <laughs> Or, or maybe if you take the mute off. Or, yeah, or turn up your volume or, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always something like that. Sometimes people say, I, I can't hear you in this. And what about the volume? And then you start seeing the arrows going up slowly I admit, to, the, I, to I, the top of the, uh, yeah. I mean, I've messaged you uh, during the show sometimes, Howard, before I was on because I was li- I usually listen from start to finish if, if I can. Yeah. And uh, sometimes, you know, I hear you mention some things, something in the yeah. news, uh, commentary, whatever. I fact check a little bit, and sometimes I find uh, something that is uh, not entirely correct. So I message to say, "Hey Howie, uh, I found this. Maybe you should mention that." Yeah, and, and then I then I do. Yeah, and you do, which is good. 
But that sometimes sometimes Mark messages me and says, "Hey, Howie, I'm uh, I'm on the website and I can't hear it." Yep, that's happened a few times. There are some gremlins on the site, but uh, I was listening uh, through the stream before. No problems this time. And uh, if you go on to TrueTalkRadio.com, I mean the the station plays automatically on the site. So the second you load up the site, the station plays. Yes, it does. And and so when it, when when that happens, I mean you know. Those people, I don't see those people. I, I don't see the people listening directly through the site. I mean, I, I see that they're listening. I mean, I see the number of people who are listening, but I don't have any information about them. I only have information about people who are on the, um, who are on the app. Hmm. Yeah, that's fair. So if you download the app, uh, basically I'll tell you what information I get because, I mean, you know, why not, right? Uh, I, I actually I get the location that you're at, like where, where you live, not the city but the country that you live in. I, I get um, what kind of computer you're listening on. So if it's a Mac or a PC or, um, or, or an Android or an Apple, I get where you downloaded the app from because that's very important because um, we pay to have the app up on the uh, different app stores. And so uh, if people aren't downloading the Android app and they're only downloading the Apple app, there's no reason for me to pay for the Android app. I mean, if people are interested in the Apple app, then why am I paying for the Android one, right? Of course. So it's very important for me to get those statistics, and I get those kind of statistics, and I see how long you listen. So I, I don't get your IP address, so I can't trace your IP, so I don't really care. And I don't get your name or your address or any of that information, but I get I get where you're calling, where you're listening from, uh, when you logged in, when you logged out, how long you were listening, and um, and what you're listening on. Which I think is just general information. I mean, it's just it's, it's not really it's not really all that personal, right? It could get a lot more personal. There's a lot of other apps that 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 grab more personal information than that. But that's all the information I wanted when they designed the app for me. They asked me, uh, "What kind of information do you want to be sent to you?" Because you know, the more information you get about your listenership, the more you could you could uh, target advertising towards them. But for me, I mean, we 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 have no advertising. So targeting advertising towards listenership would be kind of pointless, if you know what I mean. Yeah, but also you know that uh, advertising, many advertising places control how radio stations operate, or yeah, how course. media operates. And the thing is, like I remember, I I don't know it. They probably had it in Toronto at one point, but it, uh, what we had in Montreal was a uh, show called Fighting Back. Mm-hmm. So if consumers had a problem with a company or an organization. Yeah. They would go to the media about this particular company or whatever. And the media was doing it for a while, but then they stopped doing it because some of those companies happened to have advertised on the broadcast media. Right. Correct and me if I'm wrong. Was that show hosted by Terry DeMonte? It yes. was. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. It was called Fighting Back. That was on CBC as well as CTV here. I don't know. If they have it in Toronto, or if they had something like that in Toronto, I'm sure they probably did. Well, I'm feeling it. I think it was a local production, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was through Champlain Productions on the CTV side. CBC was lo- was locally produced, uh, but I don't know because I, I I'm sure in the United States they probably have it, but in the states they're not af- they're not afraid because the states could probably sue any anything anybody that uh, even if the media themselves. Uh, don't uh, you know? Come to the aid of the person. The person themselves can sue the company and probably win. So, do you not find it a a, a major problem that the media is uh, is afraid of the advertisers? Like, what if there's a big story about um about some product that some advertisers sold, 
Uh, and and you know, if the media is afraid to cover it, isn't that a problem? Well, it's the same thing also as owners of the company. Like the chairperson of Bell got himself into big, big, big trouble when he was trying to uh, force the uh, the editorials or some of the news people what to broadcast on the air. Right. So isn't that and, an issue? And, and the thing is, no matter what your political affiliations are, or if you believe in capitalism, whatever, that's immaterial because a journalism should be an independent thinker. And as long as he doesn't completely, you know, lie or fabricate a story, mm-hmm. that the journalist, the journalist, as I always said, has to get the hard facts by asking the hard questions. But you know, that's and, uh, that's a complete load of bunk. That never really happens. What? That a journalist is objective. It can't be. Not well, so much anymore. Now, no, but years ago when you and I were going through, you know, uh, our past employer, it wasn't even uh, it wasn't even objective then. I'll tell it you, it was much. It was certainly much better than it is now. Twenty years ago, I started writing for a newspaper, and uh, I was sent out to cover an event, and I yeah, went out. I covered the event twenty years ago, more than yeah. twenty years ago, probably twenty-two years ago. I went out to cover the event, and I wrote the story straight. Uh, you know, I got both sides. I spoke to both sides. It was some kind of protest. I spoke to both sides of the event. I got the story straight, and I handed it to the editor, and the editor came to me and said to me, listen, the article's well-written, but it's not what we're looking for. What so, does that mean, it's not what they're so looking for? So I said for? to him, I don't understand. I wrote the article as a news article. I was hired to write a news article. I'm a reporter. I was hired to write a news article. He says, yeah. He says, but you have to understand, he says, we have very stringent bosses here, and this is not what they're looking for in a news article, so I want you to rewrite it. So I absolutely refused to rewrite it. I said, no way, I'm not rewriting this article because um, this is what happened. I mean, you know, you got quotes from one side, quotes from the other side, it's pretty balanced, straight down the middle. Uh, That's really the way you're supposed to write a news article. Uh, The article went into the paper, that, you know, the next paper, next issue. Article went into the paper with my byline, my name on it, completely different article. Rewritten to be slanted towards one side because that was the editorial policy of the newspaper. That That's the, unfair. That first, shouldn't be happening. First and last time I wrote no. for that paper, but that was the editorial policy for that paper. Yeah, and I, don't, and I never agreed with that. I, I, always agreed that uh, I, I always agreed that when you're a journalist and you are privileged and honored to be a journalist and having the responsibilities that go with it, You have to take the story and you have to try to find out the truth and you have to put out the information for the for the listeners. Well, you're never going to find the truth, but at least provide both sides. Provide both. Well, that's the thing, because a lot of journalists, they don't do that. Some do. Yes. But others don't. And they should. Well, they have to ask the hard questions. It's like when you when you do your interviews of the political uh, people, Howie. Yeah. You're asking the questions to try to get the proper information and it's clear and concise information for for our listening audience right and you know that takes a lot of uh research preparation a lot of preparation a lot of research because you you can't ask a question to a politician that you don't know what their answer is going to be so exactly uh, because you have to have a follow-up question and you can't have a follow-up question if you don't have a clue what they're going to answer you now there are some times that you ask a question that you don't know what the answer is but most of the time when you're interviewing someone you have a pretty good idea what they're going to answer you when you ask them a question Mm -hmm. because that's the research you do you have to do that kind of research and especially as you get to know them and you and you interview them again and again and again, you'll know exactly, you know, you'll have a really good, strong idea of what that person is going to say or right, and, where, and where he or she is going to go. And sometimes yeah. you have to tailor your questions to um, sometimes you have to tailor your questions to 
manipulate the person to say to answer the question the way you want the question answered, and not not content wise, but just the way the question's answered, uh, so that you could fit it into whatever you're doing, right? So I need a sound clip from you. Uh, I could ask you a bunch of questions that you could just say yeah, no, yeah, no, right? Or I could ask you a question that will elicit you to be able to speak to me and and actually give me a line that I could use later on in a newscast, right? I mean, when I was writing for Real Estate Magazine, uh, I had my go-to people. Uh, a lot of them were pretty well-rounded, so we could talk to them about any topic in real estate investing. Yeah. So on the odd chance where someone was unable to make an interview or they you know, just couldn't attend for some reason, I went into my personal Rolodex and I said, okay, this is my guy. We've talked to him before about this topic. He makes himself available. Let's see if he's available today. So I rang him and say, hey, bud, uh, got a story we're doing here. Okay, what's it about? And I tell him, I'm like, great. Okay, I'm ready for you. Uh, let's make a time to do this. And sometimes he was ready to go immediately because, again, this is a pretty smart person. He knew his stuff. And we could get answers from him off the cuff. And they were very good, very quotable. And he was a great guy to work with. I'd, I'd still be working with him if I was still employed there. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes you ask him a question, you have to word your question in a certain way to get the answer you need. Absolutely. This guy, I could ask him anything, anything about any topic in real estate investment, and he would be ready to go. He would have an answer for me because either he did it himself or he knew someone who did it or someone who was doing it right now. Sometimes he could even refer me to other people who could uh, answer those questions. And uh, it made for some good conversations uh, on and off the record plus uh, some additional contacts for uh, other articles I was doing at the time. Right. There's nothing as bad, though, as when you're a talk show host and you ask a question and you get very short answers. Or you get dead silence. Well, that's because you didn't, you didn't structure the question properly. It's about like, the, like the, it's about the know, question and, or not about the interviewee. Because I was working with a talk show host. Uh, I mentioned his name off the air, and I'm not going to mention it on the air. Uh, Howie, yeah. but I was working with a talk show host. He had a person on. It was actually supposed to be a one-hour long interview. Right. I don't remember if it was a politician. I think it was an author of a book. So the author of the book would keep saying, well, buy my book, or my book's available here on Amazon, or, or yes, no, or, you know, maybe. And it was like, we bailed out literally not even 10 minutes yeah. after we got this guy on. I remember hearing an interview once where uh, where the interview there were two people interviewing a male and a female host interviewing, and they came on and uh, the 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 guest came on, and they said hi welcome to the program and the the guy said yeah, and they said okay uh, look you know tell us a little bit about yourself right you you wrote this book what what prompted you to write he was also an author what prompted you to write this book I don't know I don't know. Uh, You're the author. How do you know? How do you not so know why you wrote the book? They tried again. They tried a different tactic. They said, okay, so in the book he said this. Uh, what did you mean by that? I don't know. I just wrote it. Oh, what? Boy. And they were like, uh, okay, thank you for joining us. And they bailed out like 14 seconds into the interview. I guess that book was not on the, <laughs> U on the New York Times bestseller list. <laughs> yeah, clearly. Um, <laughs> but they bailed out like 14 seconds into the interview. They couldn't get the guy to, 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 to give him more than a one-word answer. I think I think they gave him a 13-second too much of a grace there. Seriously, it was crazy. I remember I remember, yeah. I remember listening to that and going, well, I was laughing. I was in the car. I, I heard the interview while I was sitting in the car. And I was cracking up. I, it was the funniest thing I've ever heard. It was, it was really funny. 
Who knows? Maybe it's the same one I'm thinking of. It might be, actually. I think I've seen some videos on YouTube of interviews on like TV news programs from around the world where someone was on and either someone got testy or they were just giving one word responses or none at all whenever the host or host prompted them for, for an answer to a question. Yeah. And I'm like, that's not good TV. Or in our case, it's not good radio when that happens. Right. It's a, it's a big problem sometimes. It is. I because mean, you, you go out of your way to prepare yourself. And you block all the, the research about this person. And you and block the time. And you block yeah. the time. And, you know, and, yeah. and it just, and that happens. And, and afterwards, you're like, where did I go wrong? And sometimes your editor or your producer speaks to you. And you ask that question, where did I go wrong? See, you didn't. The guy was just being a, uh, uh, you know, jerk. Right. It was just being uh, difficult for no reason. Yeah. You think just because he wrote a book or... He did a thing that he's, uh, you know, uh, a big shot, but it's not always the case. Yeah. It just I, makes you a guy who wrote a book or did something. It doesn't make you, uh, you know, the king of the world or whatever. That is true. All right. We're all out of time, guys. Are we really? Yeah, Gentlemen, happens. it's been fun. It's really been fun. It happens it once, been. once a Sunday. It happens that we run out of time. You know what? I'm not on the show. I miss being here because I enjoy our weekly conversations and discussions about anything and everything. Hey, listen, maybe one day, maybe one day, if you're in Montreal, Mark, yep. and maybe the three of us could be in Howie's studio and broadcast from this. Studio. Now, that is something that would be amazing. That would be. Yeah. Uh, we could do that. Yeah, I, I, we, could, we could do that. Yeah. You got the space for it, Howie? Uh, we'll make the space. He, for he it. makes the space. Remember, that's what he said at the beginning. He makes the space. Works for me. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I'll make the space for it. I mean, yeah, we, we, could, we could do that. We'll get it. We'll get our meal catered in by a couple of places you and I went to, some kosher places that you and I went to, Howie. So you know yeah. we could have them as you know sponsor, you know sponsor food there and stuff. But, we could yeah. we we could do it that way. I mean, you know, there's there's so many different ways we could do this. So uh, I I yeah. you know well well if you guys come to the studio, we will have the space for you to uh, to be able to um, to be here and to be on the show. That's uh, that's what we could do. Okay. It's the I least we could do. That opportunity. Yes, yes. All right. Thank you guys for being on the show. Appreciate it. And thank you all Pleasure. for listening. Thank you all the people who listened. Thank you all the people who didn't listen. Thank you for calling in. Thanks to those who didn't call in. I want to thank. Uh, Never heard anybody ever thank people for not calling in or, or not listening. That that's that's. I think this is the only radio show that yeah. does that. And the only radio host that does that. But yeah. you know, you know, you got to be original, right? So if you don't, oh, you're if you don't original. Ha- if you don't have your own thing, then you're just like everybody else. Howie, if anybody has their own thing, it's you. That's That goes without saying. Don't even yeah. know what that means, but thank you. I'm not saying it anyway, so there you go. All right, that's Gentlemen, it. Have a great evening. Thank you very much. See have you next week, everyone. We love Take you. Care. Go, oh, next week, by the way, uh, just before we go next week, we're not on Sunday. We'll be on Monday next week. Sunday's a fast day, and we're not going to be on Sunday. Ah. Good to know. All right. <laughs> have a good one, guys. Take care. See you later. <laughs>